Hi, I'm Josh. I'm Ken. And I'm TJ. Welcome to Serious Film People. This is our series of the 1944 films nominated for Best Picture at the 17th Academy Awards held in 1945. And we finally made it to our last film of the series. Um, I think I think there's a there's a little there's a little bit of a, an absence in excitement uh, on this podcast. We Josh. started so strong this year. 1944 <laughs> started so strong, and man, it ends with a fucking fart. <laughs> well, uh, Josh, being as poetic as he possibly can be, uh, is not off the mark. We're we're tackling the first biopic we've actually discussed for the oh, podcast, yeah. um, which is interesting to me. I, I I had to take a look through biopics. Don't pop up for Best Picture as often as you might think. Barry Lyndon, <laughs> not a real guy. I was going to say that's yeah. kind of. Yeah, See, no, not I was thinking that this was about the guy that invented the volleyballs. Like, I thought it was a yeah. precursor yeah. to Castaway. So I was a little bit surprised to see it was about it is the president. It is funny how much it is funny how much the name Wilson has just like been completely subsumed by a volleyball because <laughs> of a movie from twenty three years ago. But like, it has. I it can still has hear in my head like when I was going to Amazon to type in Wilson, I can still hear Tom Tom Hanks being like Wilson. As he's floating away, I think. Well, Sam. I think you and everybody else, you yeah. and everybody else, honestly, yeah. If I if I said the words Wilson anybody, they would say back Wilson. Yeah. Also, in your defense, the volleyball would be far less offensive. Um, a, a politician, really, um, because stay tuned for Letterbox because Letterbox degrees. I think <laughs> I was going to say somehow the volleyball is less white than Woodrow Wilson was. So. <laughs> It's, uh, that's that's TJ just gave it away. We're talking about Wilson, which is a biopic about America's twenty eighth U.S. president. Um, I don't know why I said America's twenty eighth U.S. president as opposed to a non U.S. president, but Woodrow Wilson, uh, the exciting president during the nineteen tens. So he was president during World War One. So there's a lot going on in the world. Mm-hmm. But this film coming out, you know, not even not even thirty years since he's removed from office, and um, it's it's glowing film. It, it definitely definitely suggests that fucking eye roll, dude. Twentieth <laughs> Century Fox and Daryl F. Sanek, the producer, clearly clearly finds something just magical about Woodrow Wilson because this movie, the greatest man who's ever walked the earth, <laughs> Woodrow Wilson. Well, and I, I was thinking about what, what did they find so fascinating about him? Because I, I do actually think there's like a good movie to be found within the story of his life. But I'm wondering if at the time they made it, we talked about world war two. Yes. The, a, a lot's made in this movie about, he kept us out of the war and history pretty much looks back at world war two as like, yeah, we should have been in that war. That was like, a war worth fighting. But I wonder if there wasn't being 1944, some sort of like, Hey, remember that we like dodged the other big one. I don't know. I wasn't alive then, oh, but no, I, I think that's the whole thing. Cause like, there's a big stirring moment where he speaks to some German person, the ambassador, and, like, yeah. ambassador and is like standing over him and like Sit cutting him down, down and saying like, like, you know, what a school speech about how, how the United States was isolationist, but now because Germany is so evil, they're going to ha- like have no choice but to come in and like set the world right. And like, come the fuck on, that speech being you know seen by audiences in 1944, it's extremely clear what they're doing. And then the same thing with like the whole back half hour of the movie is about the League of Nations and how he wants to set up this 
in, you know this international organization so that it'll be peace so that there will be no more wars and like the audience knows this didn't work and there was another war like 15 years later so like it's it's you know because of that well, goddamn no. war in harding <laughs> <laughs> well harding and henry cabot lodge does not come off very well in this movie um, and in fairness warren harding did suck but yeah. yes he did yeah well you know what he got he got his due he died in office um oh but we're Jeez, we're talking got us do <laughs> you're on a list now dude even though that president died like 100 years ago you're on a list now well you know calvin coolidge was a fine vice president and he he, he did enough i guess um taking over for harding but we're talking about wilson and this movie is unquestionably a piece of propaganda like it is yes. it is overtly propag- a piece of world war ii propaganda pro-allied and to your point josh the fact that the film focuses so much first on the, the, his hesitancy to enter the war, um, as, as TJ alluded to, and then we get so much time spent on the League of Nations, this idea mm. that Woodrow Wilson has that he is sure is the only way to... Prevent this from happening again. Well, yeah, produce some kind of happens again. Yeah. permanent world peace. Yeah. The fact that the U.S. don't participate, obviously, in the League of Nations, we, we bow out, despite it was our it was our president's idea. We don't participate. And... History suggests that, in large part, because the U.S., having proposed the idea, didn't participate, the League of Nations was kind of, well, it was useless. It didn't really do much, and clearly, it did not have the effect of stopping Germany from developing the way they did, giving some kind of avenue to someone like Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party, to then lead us to the the Second World War, which, as we've already talked about in the previous episodes for this series, all of the audiences watching these movies are clearly constantly thinking about the war. It's literally a total war consuming every waking moment of everyone's lives. Yeah. Because even if you're not in the war yourself, you know almost everyone in your life, at least male, who is involved in the war in some way. Um, and the women are, are having to put themselves in positions where they're entering the workforce and taking up jobs in an, on an emergency basis, jobs that they weren't trained for previously. And... Everything is just up in the air because you don't know how quickly this war is going to end. Or as the movie put it, even the women do their bit. I was like, ooh. <laughs> um, which which is driven home, I think, by uh, last week's episode, since you went yeah, away, where yeah. we see Claudette Colbert kind of coming to the realization she has to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I, I bring that up because despite my, I think, lukewarm at best, no, we'll just say cold. Uh, opinion about that film i missed that film this week yeah it was a lot better than this <laughs> well it was better than this but also i got to watch that movie on uh one and a half speed and i was not able to watch this on one and a half speed so that <laughs> may have made this one worse than that one. Oh, this yeah this is this is a tough this is a tough set um i guess a little bit of synopsis just so everybody knows what we're talking about yeah what's the scope what's the scope here yeah, yeah the movie kicks off with woodrow wilson as president of princeton university Literally kicks off Yes, literally. It's what, kick- what is strange? Were you guys like, what is the? what are we doing here? What's this movie <laughs> yeah. about? Why are you starting? Especially the way it's framed, where it's kind of framed on that football player. And I'm like, who is this person? And then you just look over and Woodrow Wilson's in the best open field the runner crowd, his name for Michigan. Which I knew he was president of Princeton for a while. But again, I'm like, why are we opening this biopic about Wilson in a football game that Wilson's not playing in? It's not like it's like, no. hey, little did you know he was actually a great football player. No, he's just there. Are you ready, TJ? <laughs> Are you yeah. ready, TJ? Because he's on the sidelines. 
Yeah. And then later he later and, he says his his wife and daughter's like, You've always been interested in politics. He's like, Yes, but on the sidelines, never actually involved in politics. And they're like, Well, maybe it's time you get off the sidelines and make a change in the world. And then he does. Oh God. Yeah, but it's because like, guess what? Guess what? When he's on the sidelines, Princeton loses. Mm, so Hitler would have won if uh, later, <laughs> if not for um no, well, and, and sorry, Ken, I stepped all over the first line of your synopsis, but this is maybe the biggest problem I have with this movie, other than, like, the kind of Wilson washing of history slash propaganda, is even when he's doing something, he's so boring. There's, like, nothing oh, really yeah. to this character. And as a human, he was kind of like a bland man, but again, I think there's interesting contradictions in his life that you could have made a good movie out of but he's just always in the movie's eyes doing the right thing always yeah so it's like let's just watch him make these eloquent speeches montages of him signing bills that we don't know what the fuck they're about (laughs) or what you know like you can't read it it's just a title and he's signing them well this okay Sorry. And then newsreel footage like a a 15 minute break to show newsreel footage of World War One. yeah yeah, let's let's. I want to go there because the film Sorry. starts. It starts around 1909. He's president of Princeton. The film ends with Warren G. Harding being sworn. The, the minute he walks out the door, he's right. like, "Oh, it's noon. I'm out." <laughs> and so this is it. This is the the period of time we're talking 1909 to 1921. That's the period of time we're talking about. So it's literally him, president of Princeton. Oh, he's being pressured to become to run for governor of New Jersey. He runs for governor of New Jersey. We get zero insight into what he does as governor of New Jersey, by the way. It's he takes just on the bosses. It's, he stands up to Big Ed the senator. That's he, all he does. Yeah. He literally just he just F, fuck yous all the, the bosses, all the, the the party bosses. That's it though. That's all we get is a scene of those same guys having come to, to come to pressure him to run for governor earlier. Suddenly, we get him in the office, having won the election. He's now governor. Well, and he's that, telling that them speech off. scene. The speech scene. The worst speech in political history. Okay, let's says. be clear. This film because is he told filled, the truth. This film is filled with speeches from uh, depicted several of his speeches. Both uh, that one you're talking about when he's running for governor, and then when he's running for president, he is the most boring, boring speaker. Ever. Like in modern politics, you'd fall asleep watching this guy. C-SPAN wouldn't air his speeches because they would not be able to keep it on air. Number one, for his governor rally, when he's like giving that speech, there's like, it's just like, it says, you know, Wilson for governor, and there's his picture. His picture looks like a mugshot. And it's like blown up on this big stage. And it's like, like he just got arrested for drunk driving or something. And then, uh, two things. Number one, uh, the, the the fucking party bosses in the audience are like, oh, aren't you worried that he's like, you know, saying bad things about us? And the party boss is like, oh, don't worry, we'll we'll get him in line with a twist of his mustache, or whatever. <laughs> and then I and think then he's TJ, to your point, a cigar, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To your point, afterwards, a guy says that was the most idiotic speech in the history of politics because quote he means what he says. I fucking hate. The pandering bullshit where it's like, we in the audience all know that every politician's corrupt and a crook and, and just a liar. But the fact that this guy actually means what he says and the fact that this guy's actually honest, he's got every politician shaking in his boots. And like, get the fuck out of here. Like, Well, and uh, this is another small pandering And the whole movie's that. The whole movie's basically that, you know? Another small pandery thing that I don't like is they do this in a lot of movies, and this was kind of just an Oppenheimer for like five seconds, and I hate when this stuff is in there. But when he's like, 
we should have like a group of countries that come together, like a, a some nations. I don't know what we'll call it, like a league, a league of nations. I hate yeah. stuff like that. But Josh, you said that's all the movie is. I beg to differ because the tagline of the movie in the original ad was all caps, drama and spectacle unparalleled, entertainment undreamed of, 12,000 players, 200 mighty scenes told to the tune of 87 beloved songs. What are you talking about, Josh? You were bored by that? <laughs> I'm 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 just fascinated by the way they they sold movies in the 40s. Oh yeah, remember the, yeah. Tagline, remember the tagline for Citizen Kane? It's terrific. Letters <laughs> <laughs> on the poster for Citizen Kane. That's it's awesome. the greatest movie of all time. I mean, they it's weren't terrific. wrong. They weren't wrong. It is terrific. I mean, true. Yeah. Sorry, Ken. Back to that synopsis. <laughs> there is there's not a whole lot of synopsis here. We just did it. It's his presidency is basically the focus, and not all of his presidency. <laughs> this is one of those movies that that tries to depict a period of time, an extended period of time, and you feel like after the once the credits start rolling, you've learned absolutely nothing. That's like, the biggest problem with the movie. Yes, I completely agree. Yes. There's no, there's no insight. There's no, there's no deep diving into him as a person. To TJ, your point, he's just a dour, severe kind of individual throughout the movie. Um, he's not very, he's not very likable, particularly. You wouldn't want to hang out with the guy. This I mean, isn't, he this is. Isn't w, you were. This movie is. This is really the only thing I have to say about it. So I'm kind of blowing my one take right now. But like the movie is a timeline a sequential timeline of events that are part of the historical record with the the barest barest dramatization added where it's just like putting Woodrow Wilson into the historically correct position because this movie came out 30 20 30 years after the events being uh, portrayed and then a few antagonists given a comically historically wrong position so that Wilson has someone to bump bump against so it's just Again, a chronological depiction of events that we all know happened and given giving Wilson the correct historical opinion to fight for. And then there's a slight conflict between Wilson having the right opinion and these antagonists having the wrong opinion. And then that's it. That's the whole movie. It's sort of and if th- the, nothing is learned. If the Wikipedia page was turned into a movie. This is the closest I've ever yes. seen to like a Wikipedia page or like a very dry cliff notes his history book becoming a movie which i don't know why then and i'm not saying documentaries or wikipedia pages are boring or dry why is this not a documentary because to choose to make it a narrative fiction film you would think oh there's got to be something i could really focus on and um you know tr- make cinematic but there's doesn't really seem to be any effort of that it really does just kind of it's a walk through the hall of presidents you know it's a long walk by the way <laughs> There's literally, there's literally, uh, when they move into the White House, there's like a tour of the White House, basically, where they kind of walk around like, oh, here's Diane Madison's portrait. Here's where Lincoln slept. <laughs> and there's no point to it other than just like show the audience, hey, here's what's inside the White House. Okay, like, except they do once, <laughs> one of them is going to take over that one bedroom and they pause. And this is a, this is another, this is a, a glaring problem with the movie. They pause to look at the plaque by the fireplace that memorializes that this is yeah. the room in which Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And all of the Wilson girls, both Mrs. Wilson, that that, that is, we're talking about the first one, Ellen Wilson, because remember, he had two wives. So Ellen is still alive. She's the first lady, and you got the three daughters. 
And they're all so glowing, and they, they look up to Abraham Lincoln, as does Wilson. Totally, totally whitewashing, as TJ suggested, the reality that Woodrow Wilson was, in fact, notoriously racist. Um, a, a proponent and supporter of the KKK, in, in many regards, considered to be one of the reasons why the KKK kind of saw a resurgence in the cool. 20s. Um, Birth of a Nation is part of that reason. Which, he was like a big fan of Birth of a Nation. Which yeah. was based on one of the books he wrote. I did not know that. It was inspired by, he wrote like a five volume, The History of America. And Birth of a Nation, it's not like a direct adaptation, but it's strongly inspired by um, the, the five volume textbook that Wilson wrote. But if you watch uh, this movie... Beat. He is he is a he is just the the most heroic everyday everyday guy. He's very calm, very reserved. He keeps to himself. He just tries to do whatever is right. And it's a load of shit. And he even in that in that berating of the the German um ambassador for lack of a better yeah. term, he's like your bunk philosophy about being a superior race and this race being better than others and it's like, "Oh, buddy are you really you know i think you uh might have been kind of on board with that there that's the pot Woody. calling the kettle um racist yeah um, and then that that the lincoln scene that you mentioned i i not a huge hang-up but it annoyed me where they're like oh so-and-so slept here and she's like in my bedroom and i'm like bitch you just moved in three minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that everyone is so um i guess that they 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 adorize him they they idolize him to an unrealistic level. I mean, when Ellen Wilson is dying, not to, not to spoil anything for anyone, but the first lady at the time dies in the White House, and he has to remarry. But when she's dying, maybe the one thing I learned from the movie, by the way, hmm. is that Wilson's wife died and then he remarried. That's the only thing I walked away from that I didn't already know. <laughs> well, when Ellen is dying, the film depicts that on her deathbed, she insists that her daughters make sure. That Woodrow finds somebody because he can't be, he needs somebody to support him and be there for. It's like, oh, what a doting, loving wife she's always thinking about Woodrow. For God's sakes, what movie are we watching? Like, Woodrow Wilson is, he's just the end all be all. And we're going to, everybody all around him is going to sacrifice themselves for him. With the minor exception, you got Charles Coburn flitting around as a fictional character. I don't know why he's, why they decided to create this character. His professor friend, who's always got the snide, like, comic relief lines, the one-liners. I think he's the one that criticizes his speech. Yeah, the worst speech in history politics, yeah. 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 Um, he's the only, he, he seems to be the only one who seems to be in real time having any issue with Woodrow Wilson and things that are going on, but yet it's all played for laughs and, you know, he's just kind of along to help his buddy. Um, other than that, everyone else, they just, he's, he's the only person who can save the United States and the only person apparently who can bring about world peace. And a lot of people felt that at the time, but yet we're going to ignore all of the other problems. And I get it. In 1944, they're making this film in part it's to compare in a positive light him to FDR. The fact that FDR did something similar. FDR did not rush us into World War II, even though he wanted us to, to get involved, having experienced World War One. In fact, he was in Woodrow Wilson's cabinet, I believe. Oh. Um, 
FDR served as a secretary of the Navy. Um, I'm sure one of our commenters will correct me if I'm wrong, but he was a he was a, a, a cabinet level official during the Wilson administration, and he's now president. We're obviously in the war after he was hesitant, and every decision he is making. I mean, all of these movies. Nobody ever says anything bad about FDR during this period of time. You'll, it's of note. Whereas at the time, there were those critics, and they're all they're painted as being a loud but strong minority within the Congress led by Henry Lab- Henry uh, Cabot Lodge. And they're the ones who are going to be on the wrong side of history, clearly. So there's, there's this, there's this clear want by both the director and the producers and the writers. They all want to make sure the people seeing this movie leave the theater thinking highly of FDR, thinking highly of the U.S. involvement in the war effort, and thinking highly of FDR's plans, which are at the time still being worked out, for something to come after the war, which ultimately ends up being the United Nations. But right. we, we're, we're getting the idea that Wilson wasn't wrong at the time. We screwed up, and now now we've got to fix it. And FDR allegedly really loved this movie? Uh, as as is pointed out on Letterboxd by multiple people, he apparently showed it to Winston Churchill at the second Quebec conference, and um, apparently Churchill left like halfway through to go to bed. <laughs> I, I, I don't blame him. Does, yeah. any, does anybody does anybody watching this movie today? An, an iconic iconic move from uh, from uh, the old bulldog himself, Winston Churchill. Well, when he wakes up in the morning, maybe you should inform him that he might not be the president. <laughs> God. The other thing about this movie, though, not only is he as boring as pa- as all get out. I mean, they couldn't make him that interesting, even though it's he's supposed unbel- to- It's unbelievable how uninteresting he is. Yes. And to that point, the film makes some strange choices. Like, immediate- at the end of that scene involving the German ambassador, German ambassador storms out and... Um, He's left in the the east room of the White House by himself, and as he's walking around looking at the the paintings, the most somber, just most just depressing version of Yankee Doodle Dandy starts yep. playing over the scene, and it's like creepy. It's it's not at all interesting. It doesn't it doesn't enliven me up. It doesn't make me want to be like yeah, proud, go America. Is it's, isn't this when he's like he's just like staring at a portrait of Lincoln, right? Yes. Like, yeah, he tells off the German ambassador, and then, a, like you just said, a really, like, horror movie trailer, slowed-down version of Yankee Doodle Dandy plays as he stares at Lincoln and contemplates the decision he has to make to go to war, because and, it's the right thing to do. And we do immediately go from this really, really dark version of Yankee Doodle Dandy to the usual rousing last stanza of Battle Hymn of the Republic, because, okay, this is it, we're going to war, people. Cut to... Him, I believe the Cong- he's in Congress asking them to declare war. That's the next scene. And then the newsreel footage has got to be shortly after that, I would think, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. How long is that? That's got to be five minutes. And it's, what's weird is, I, I don't know it. if it was shot for this movie. I would have believed they just pulled a real one. Because as I'm watching this, I think this they just is, pulled one. Yeah. This is three years after Citizen Kane, which begins after the, the Rosebud business with what, eight, nine minutes of news on the march? And if you think about what's yeah, accomplished... Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, if you think about what's accomplished there in terms of establishing POV, narrative contradiction, uh, visual motifs, you know, all sorts of things that are done in there, 
this is kind of the antithesis of that. And I was really yes. waiting as I was watching it. I'm going, okay, if we're going to watch this for like as long as we're watching it, is this a counterpoint to something? What am, what am I getting out of this? And it really kind of just felt to me, I might've missed something, but it felt a lot just like exposition. Filler. Yeah. 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 That's exactly what it Hey, is. remember world war one? Uh-huh. This is what it was like. Here you go. Um, another, can you brought up awkward and weird scenes? I know. I think I know what they were doing here, but it was like a few scenes before he asks the second woman, I forget her name, to marry him. And he's next to the fireplace and somebody tells a joke and he laughs at it. And then there's three shots in a row, like it cuts twice to him laughing from different angles. <laughs> and then it shows the woman he's going to ask to marry. It shows her and it shows her like kind of smile at him, which I guess what the point there is like, she's seeing that he's not just a stiff. He's also kind of funny, but it is like three shots in a row of him laughing from different angles. And I'm like, what is going on here? Uh-oh. His laugh is creepy too. Yes, like his laugh is creepy. <laughs> like we, we were talking off mic about, um, I think it's shortly after he becomes governor. He's at a vaudeville show with his wife. Yes. And, uh, there's a guy with a really, really like, odd face like it looks like he got cut up like the joker singing moonlight bay with like a plaster on smile and uh so after that dude sings moonlight bay there's like a conversation in the audience where like one of wilson's guys like comes and talks to him about some governor business i don't remember what, what he's talking about and then that conversation ends with wilson turning back around to the stage and laughing hysterically like he's being really tickled by what he sees on stage and it like holds on him for a good like five or ten seconds while he laughs again it, it, it looks like he it looks like he's just like watched five people laugh and then tried to imitate them and it's kind of what like his laugh looks like but then when it reverses to the stage to show you what he's laughing at oh look a minstrel show isn't that lovely he was laughing yes. so Oh. tickledly at blackface isn't that great which yeah you know the movie does another weird thing later where it's at one of his rallies and i remember this because it was the only like two or three black people in the whole movie are on top of like a train or something listening to him speak and his speech is over and then it goes right into dixieland and i'm like whoa okay well they're <laughs> To their to their credit, maybe they're they're aware of the reality of Wilson, and they're just teasing it. But we're gonna cover it up and hide it. The the to your point, I didn't notice that because I'll be honest. But halfway through this film, I just kind of stopped fully paying attention. Like I'm Ken watching was, it. Ken was drunk. Too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I I don't want to admit that, uh, so I'm not going to. I, I've got something to bring up, which is. We didn't seem to like this movie very much. Uh, however, Daryl's F. Zanuck, the producer of mm. this film, this was a pet project, labor of love, something this guy really badly wanted to get made. And he was so gosh darn pleased with himself with this movie. Alleged, according yep. to IMDb trivia, when he wins the Oscar for Best Film for Gentleman's Agreement later, he goes to the podium and says, I should have won this for Wilson. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and and this film had 10 nominations, won five. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of us. But no, no, we're, that's fine. We're, we're, we're roasting this movie, and, I, and it's kind of fun. But I did want to get to, like, some people thought this was good. Why? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So here's the here's Why the do you think thing. this appealed to some people? 
Well, that's that's. I think the, it's the World War II thing, right? Like, it's. I can't think of any reason why anybody would like this besides World War II is happening, and this movie reminds you how righteous we are for fighting World War II. That's all it is. Okay. I think I think okay. it's fascinating though. You can't you you we can't have this discussion and ignore the box office. So mm-hmm. real okay. quick, the film cost five point two million dollars. Mi- million it. million. Yes, five okay. two, five. 5.2 million dollars. I, I heard billion, yeah. <laughs> that, that is adjusted for inflation that's 90.1 million dollars in today's money. Which, which is, I, I, mean, I believe this, I read was budget. more ex- more expensive than Gone with the Wind was. Is that accurate? Uh I wouldn't be I don't know if that's entirely accurate. I can't off the top of my head think of what Gone with the Wind. I think it was cost. one of the most expensive movies Fox ever made, if not the most expensive um, movie Fox ever I, made. It is it is yeah. to your point, it is the most expensive movie 20th Century Fox has made up to this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I mean, we we do have a couple of scenes. For example, there's a convention scene. There are a shitload of extras throughout this mm-hmm. movie. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of people, so there's a lot of pay to be to be tossed out to people. Box office though, five point two million dollar production budget. It made two million dollars at the box office. Woo, woohoo! So yeah, it it did not make its money back. So p- people are not going to see this movie in droves. Unlike since you went away and go- going my way. The two last two movies we talked about, this movie doing something similar to since you've been since you went away or whatever it's called, people are people are being lured to the theater with the idea of trying to kind of lift their spirits and remind them of why we're doing what we're doing, kind of thing. And this movie just isn't selling it apparently, or people aren't going to check it out. Maybe because it's a biopic, maybe people don't care. I don't know. That said, to your point, TJ, it still lands those ten nominations and, and wins, wins five. five. Yeah. yeah, there's got to be something involved with with Zanuck and the power position he played in Hollywood. There's got to be something behind that. We talked, I think, about Paramount. The fact Par- Paramount four, was four below the line nominations, though, right? Or four below the line wins, though, right? Uh, that yeah, it one original screenplay. Yeah, and then the others. I mean, what, edit, it copy, won, edit, paste. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a very, it's not a movie screenplay at all. The fact that it's nominated is weird. Uh, it, it's, it wins cinematography. Mm. I can, I mean, this is color. Should also point out, we haven't mentioned yet, this is in Technicolor, which it, but it, I think that might be part of the aging of the, the, the film, to be honest. Cause remember, this is the first, the only film we've talked about for 1944 that's in color. Like you, you have to really think about like maybe Meet Me in St. Louis, National Velvet. They don't look great, although Meet Me and Singles probably looks, looks a, a lot better, better. honestly. Yeah, yeah it, it, it looks better. Um, but the fact that this is in Technicolor, and it's it's one of the prestige films of the year, so they're not going to give cinematography, apparently, to MGM and their musical. We get it. We get Wilson. This is it. This is the best picture nominee that, that has color cinematography. Um, it wins editing. Uh, and the crazy thing is, it uh the winner barbara mclean woman editor it's her only win she's a seven-time nominee oh dang which which she she still held the record until 2012 when um michael khan finally passed her for his with his eighth nomination and um obviously our favorite thelma schoonmaker has, has since also passed her up but this woman held a record for a very long time of having the most nominations of an editor at the oscars her only win comes for this movie and 
I don't know all of her other nominations, but this one is a really poor choice. I feel like you could cut out maybe half an hour of this movie without really batting an eye, so I think I uh, I question the editing choices made here. Maybe well, You get 15 minutes from the newsreel footage alone. That's true. <laughs> and that football game. I I agree with TJ. It's a weird way to start. I get I get that he's on the sidelines, but why start the film literally on the football and the football player? What a strange well, pitch, you also, too. Yeah. Because Felton also comes back later. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Felton being, like, the running back for Princeton that fumbles and costs him the game. And after the game, President Woodrow Wilson, president of Princeton, congratulates Felton on a good game and says, it's okay, we'll have a fumble once in a while. And then, like, later in the movie, he sends him off as president of the United States. Felton now being a soldier, sends him off to war. I'm not sure what we're supposed to, like, <laughs> Because you that. fumbled that ball, I'm sending you to the front <laughs> lines. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Yeah. To your point, Josh, in, in addition to screenplay, in addition to cinematography and editing, yes, it wins art direction for a color film, and it wins sound. Uh, it's also nominated for effects. I don't know what effects are there are in this film, other than there's some background like to make it seem like they're in a larger venue at times. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, Alexander Knox might be dead playing Richard <laughs> Wilson, and they actually animated him to give these speeches. That's an effect. I'm going to use that as a segue, though, because Knox is nominated for Best Actor here. He and for the lo- For the love of God, I don't know what else Alexander Knox is known for. This is it. This is the peak of his career. Golden Globe winner. Wooden depiction of a U.S. president. This is it. This Wooden is- Wilson. My understanding is he was a character actor, mm-hmm. and they just kind of slotted him in here. And I, lo- I went to his Wikipedia page, just like read about him, and you're right. There's not much here. No. There's like hardly anything here. Uh, it does say that his liberal views forced him to leave Hollywood because of McCarthyism, but then that that is not cited by anything, and then it's not elaborated on later in the Wikipedia page. That's just like in his like intro two paragraphs. With so I don't know. There's could be true, but who knows? Yeah, I read that he's Canadian. I, I, he is Canadian. He is Canadian. I did a little. I did a little searching of what I could find about the guy. There's just kind of like Wilson as depicted in the film. There's not a whole lot to talk about about poor Alexander Knox. This is it. He's known for being somebody else, being closely. He he looks a lot like Woodrow. Wilson. You. That's it. Oh. No. To those listening at home that don't know what Ken looks like, Ken looks an awful lot like Alexander Knox's Woodrow Wilson, <laughs> as pointed out by me over text when I was watching the movie Wilson. Which I showed that picture, I showed that text string to a friend of mine, and when it start, it started with the picture before the comments, and I was just like, oh, look at this picture, and they go, it's Ken. <laughs> and I was like, funny, look at what these texts say. <laughs> I went to your Facebook page, trying to find like a side, so I do a side by side, but I didn't, uh, I didn't go that far. I, I mean, I'm, I'm burying the lead here. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Alexander Knox, in large part because he beat me out for this role. Look, <laughs> I needed a paycheck, folks. But he's, he's, he's handsome, though. I'll give him that. <laughs> there you go. Uh-huh. He's nomin- he doesn't win, and the film is nominated also for score for a drama, drama or comedy. This is Alfred Newman. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think we've had an Alfred Newman uh, score yet. But I don't think so. He's he's got forty five career nominations, nine wins. That's still the record for uh, composers. Um, and of course, he is. I guess the 
I don't want to say the patriarch because he's one of three brothers who were in the music business at the time. Um, but he's the father of David and Thomas Newman, who are, of course, modern day composers, and the uncle of Randy Newman, everyone's favorite weirdo. Um, You've got a friend in me. And Most I got to be honest, I don't really, I, I can't, I don't feel like Alfred Newman is really present here. It's nominated, but his score isn't doing much for me, given how it's much... It's a bunch of, the, of choir stuff. It's a bunch of choirs singing, like, American standards. How much? Well, that's the thing. How much of this film is reliant upon the songs that they insert? The patriotic... songs. Yeah. Yes. Like, Newman's not doing a whole lot here. I feel like they give this to him because, look, it's not for Best Picture and... You know, okay, here's a here's a nomination for the score. Um and yet we don't have nominations for what was it, Gaslight and Double Indemnity. I don't think mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Strange. Um and of course it's nominated for best, I say of course, I don't know why. It's nominated for Best Director. Henry King, for the I didn't know who this was. I'll be honest. I, I, I just looked him up. Go ahead. I I uh, we we talked earlier. It doesn't sound like either of you had seen this movie. I'd seen no. quite a bit of it on TCM years ago, probably at this point <laughs> that years ago. Um, I didn't remember that much about it except for the fact that you know you got Alexander, you get the 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 lead actor looking quite a bit like Woodrow. Um, I didn't remember being quite so terrible. Then again, it was late at night and I was half asleep. But Henry King, uh, he's. The director of the song of Bernadette, which is nominated the year before this, so this is his second year in a row where he's nominated for best director. He's got six total uh, films in his filmography that are nominated for best picture. Seven, I think, um, according to his Wikipedia page. I've I could only I could I don't know if, how accurate that is. I I went through and I looked at his filmography, and I may have wasted my time, but there were yeah. I counted six. It says he was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Director and directed seven films nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. It doesn't list them, though. Right. I, I'm saying I looked through his filmography. Right. I was able to pick out – if there's a seventh one, I missed it. I was able to right. pick out six six Best Picture nominees. He does have 116 directing credits. Yeah. He's also apparently one of the 36 people to found the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Yeah, he's one of the founding the members. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, but that it's strange because I feel like he's probably a filmmaker that's a bit lost to history. In fairness, if Wilson is any indication, I think it's understandable. Um, just to Ouch. just to throw this out there, I mean, the other big film from his filmography, other than Wilson and the Song of Bernadette, the other big title that I recognized was Twelve O'clock High, which is a war picture from nineteen forty nine. Beyond that, he's got some. He's got the original State Fair, Alexander's Ragtime Band from 1938. We're gonna get there, and I'm not sure what we're gonna talk about for that movie. I have no idea what that's about. But yet, this is kind of his filmography, and he was kind of reliable. The studios considered him a reliable kind of plug and chug director. You fit him in on a big picture, apparently like this. And let's be honest, it sounds like Zanuck was actually in charge of this production. So Sounds like it, yeah. King King's direction is somewhat limited. He's just got to be there to technically direct the cast and the cinematographer and the cameras. But that's about it. Like, it, there's not a whole lot of presence. I don't, I don't watch this movie and get the sense that anybody is really directing it. Am I wrong? So it's like like directing a Marvel movie, basically. <laughs> 
Ouch. But I mean, to your point, to both your points, there's like, I, I don't see any creative choices happening. No. Like, oh, okay. Uh, Woodrow Wilson is like more often than not shot from below. So we're looking up at him, which kind of implies reverence. And particularly in these early scenes where it's like there's a lot of meetings between him and like the big bosses of the Democratic Party who we're supposed to not like because they're corrupt. They're always sitting in chairs and he's standing up. So like they're looked down on by the camera. He's looked up at by the camera. But like that that's hardly anything. And that's like <laughs> literally the only directorial choice I noticed in two and a half hours. So not great, Bob. I found the blocking to be pretty stiff. Yeah. yeah. It's the staging. The staging in almost every scene is just people kind of placed yeah, around a yeah. big room and okay go act just it, read your lines it it won best cinematography but like again colors still in its infancy but like the shadows all look shitty and like the the colors really oversaturated and again i'll chalk that up to just being like the technology and like the preservation and all that stuff but it just kind of looks like shit particularly once we get into the war and they're in the white house any of the scenes in which they're in a a dimly lit room at night where there's just yeah. some lamplight, those those scenes look pretty terrible, and there's absolutely no rhyme or reason for the shadowing. It's just yeah. it's just kind of a a choice that's made. Um, I, I I I don't know. It's not it's not a particularly memorable movie at all, um, except for the fact that it's so frustrating to sit through. This is a two hour and thirty three minute movie. And I don't learn anything interesting or new from this movie because it doesn't cover anything of interest other than it does. I, I, I wrote this in my notes. The film goes there in quotations in regards to Edith because I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember if this movie addressed his um, illness in quite the way everyone at the time remembers it. Edith Wilson was rumored to be acting president behind the scenes because yeah, he had they- a stroke. When they said that, I was like, uh, don't we have a thing that says that, or maybe that, that I'm being purposefully, uh, ignorant at the moment, but like, there's a line of succession and, uh, that's what we have a vice president for, but. Well, and I'm shocked by that scene, particularly when they suggest to her, because he's, he's had a stroke, he's ill, but he seems to be somewhat aware. He's just, he's having trouble speaking. He's lost function on the left side of his body and they're like you should serve basically as the gatekeeper so you can decide what goes to him and what just kind of gets delegated to the to his his staffers and his cabinet and it's like wow that's an interesting scene that we touch on and they don't really analyze except that they get a they get a a cutesy scene between her and her husband later on when he refers to her as uh, mrs president and she chides him for it because oh right. he's healthy now by the way he's in he's in a, he's sitting on the balcony but he's okay um it's a it's a weird insertion into the movie because it raises a lot of questions that I'm sure a lot of people probably had even in the 1940s about the Wilson administration there's a lot of questions about what Edith Wilson was actually doing whether she made any decisions effectively on behalf of her husband um, and whether everything was kosher which it probably wasn't see there's a way more interesting movie right there. Make the movie about her, and yeah, that's just it. The film includes it, it includes it, but then doesn't comment on it at all. It doesn't really go anywhere. It's just there. Um, it's really strange, and <laughs> I have no. the The other crazy thing is, does what is the per, what is the purpose of having it in here? 
when you know it's going to raise thoughts in the audience of FDR, who, by the way, is in a wheelchair. Was that publicly known by 1944? Um, it was a, I mean, it was a widely, everyone knew. Like, he was always depicted when he's giving speeches of standing because he's leaning on his podiums and everything. But it's not exactly a secret that was well kept. People yeah. knew it was referenced in newspapers and stuff. It just wasn't widely publicized. People didn't talk about it, but everyone knew he had some health issues. Um, and I guess, to their credit, people were probably like, well, we wouldn't mind Eleanor Roosevelt being acting president if she <laughs> has to, I guess. Um, yeah. But it, it's just a strange inclusion. of the. And to TJ's point, it's a far more interesting subject that the film just kind of includes, but it mostly ignores. Um, I I think that's about it. I do want to, before we leave, I just want to touch briefly on the fact that, um, because as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, this is our first biopic. We'll have a few more coming. Um, biopics, I personally have a strange relationship with them because – for every Raging Bull or Social Network or Steve Jobs or, or Oppenheimer, if anybody has gone to the theaters this year, for every quality biopic that does something interesting and I think is somewhat substantive in how it addresses its subject as well as how it asks the audience to reflect upon what they're watching, we get like a smattering of paint-by-numbers depictions of famous people that are just garbage like elvis Ca- and capital g capital m great man movies yeah the imitation game the theory of so, everything i was thinking cetera. about this a lot and please humor me for a moment it was about 20 years later uh that beckett gets nominated for best picture one word or two word titles that are great person movies nominated for best picture beckett Patton. Lenny, Norma Ray, Gandhi, Amadeus, Bugsy, JFK, Elizabeth, Aaron Brockovich, Ray, Capote, Milk, Lincoln, Mank, King Richard, Elvis. This is not including things like Darkest Hour, um, Frost Nixon, A Beautiful Mind, Theory of Everything, Imitation Game. Judy. What? Judy. Judy. Oh, and then there's a whole category of They Swung and Missed. Respect, Judy. <laughs> um Joy, Sully, Diana, Spencer, 42, W, Trumbo, Neruda. There's a ton of these movies. I didn't even read my whole list there, and I read a bunch. These are all typically Oscar Beatty movies. And it's that that idea that we're just going to give them like that, that one word title, because there's a sense of intimacy here, but it's also supposed to be a prestige picture. What's up with, like, why do people think this is such a win? Because it works sometimes. I was going to say, it gets 10 nominations and five wins. (laughs) And this, to be clear for audiences, this isn't the first biopic nominated for Best Picture. We've got some coming earlier, but it's the first one we're tackling in the podcast. So it it does raise some interesting questions because, I'll I'll be honest, I'm, I'm always hesitant to tackle one of these movies and... Even if they're maybe enjoyable, like Rocket Man, for example, at least, or, or Bohemian Rhapsody, you might have found them somewhat entertaining. You may have enjoyed at least, at the very least, the music. But they tend to be movies that, again, they're not very substantive or they don't provide any revelatory insight, really. Um, nothing that you can't find if you just did a quick cursory search on the internet for the subject. Um, Versus every once in a while you get something like Lawrence of Arabia or um, The Insider, right? Or, or um, 
Fruitvale Station, where there's some some film depicting a real person and it's trying to say something. Wilson is not that kind of movie. This is well. Those are also the movies you just listed are like not cradle to grave. They're just like something that happened to somebody at some point, and we're going to portray what happened to them. You know, this is like a this is something else. This isn't this isn't Fruitvale Station or The Insider or Lawrence of Arabia by any means. Which which is interesting because when when you think about all of those some of those titles TJ was throwing out there, they're films that try to tackle I think generally speaking a larger period of time in somebody's life they don't usually pull it off i'm also thinking of an epic like on the on the level similar to gandhi of like chaplin which is also from the same director actually richard attenborough um it's it's a ambitious production sometimes and it doesn't always pay off because you're trying to tackle too much and ironically despite the length similar to wilson you don't actually say that much yeah and Wilson definitely suffers from that issue. Yeah. Uh, so none of us really like this. And lest anyone listening thinks that we're just being curmudgeons, may I read some letterbox reviews? By all means. Of Wilson. <laughs> okay. Uh, as I said before we turn the mics on, the top three letterbox reviews are all one-star reviews. And the number four review is a one-and-a-half-star review. So the ones at the top, the ones that people are agreeing with, are not very... Uh, Kind of the movie. The number one review on Letterboxd is just something that I already relayed, which is that Franklin Roosevelt showed this movie to Winston Churchill at the second Quebec conference, and Churchill demonstrated his inspirational leadership by leaving in the middle of the film and going to bed. Kudos to Churchill. Um, the second review just compares Wilson the Volleyball to Wilson the Movie, uh, and Wilson the Movie does not come out on top. Third review, some people think that Woodrow Wilson was boring, but what this movie presupposes is, yes, he was. <laughs> uh, just a spattering from a few more from a one and a half star review when the film isn't twisting history it's creating several different scenes where people just cheer for woodrow wilson whether it's college kids at princeton barbershop quartets at national conventions or random lounge singers um a one star review i'm canadian i don't know a ton about u.s presidents however i know just enough about woodrow wilson to know that he was not in fact the second coming of jesus christ which is what this movie basically tries to tell you and uh lastly another one and a half star review a truly lazy and dull piece of American propaganda, bloated to a fault, with few good things hidden among Daryl F. Zanuck's infatuation with Wilson. And that's pretty much the temper of Letterboxd. And I think a pretty fair uh, kind of summary for our opinion on the movie, it sounds like. <laughs> like I said, I mean, my one take is that this is just basically a Wikipedia page filmed and there's just the slightest dramatization added to the different events that are part of the historical record, but it's just like a dull, unnuanced, boring dramatization at that. And the movie sucks. Oh, I have a question, actually. So, as we are recording this, our most recent episode that has aired was Goodwill Hunting. So, I was re- listening back to Goodwill Hunting recently, uh, just days before I was recording this. And in that episode, TJ said that Goodwill Hunting was the worst movie that we've watched so far for this podcast. And I want to ask you, TJ, is that still the case now that we've watched Wilson from 1944? I'm so glad you asked me that because when you were done, I just had prepared to say, call Matt and Ben. We have a new winner. (laughs) Um, Goodwill Hunting (laughs) is so much better than Wilson. Um... (laughs) I might have come down. To hear you say I might that, have come honestly. down a little too hard on Goodwill Hunting, but I really, really don't like it. But it um, has a pulse. 
which yes. is something that's different. Um, this movie has about all the life of like a funeral home. So yeah, yeah that's that's not entirely unfair. Because yeah. I'll be honest, um, that's all I think we've got for this movie, gentlemen. I, I don't even I'm done. Quotes yeah, for yeah. this movie, this movie is so bland. <laughs> I just I think we need to toss it in the wastebasket and move on to the recap episode next week. So uh, Thomas you, Mitchell's in it. I like that. I like Thomas. Oh, Mitchell. That's right. Vincent yeah. Price. Vin, Vincent Price. Yeah. Vincent Price is thirty three. He's our age in this movie. Wait, who's Vincent Price in it? Vincent Price is his um, one of his younger staffers who ultimately uh, ends up marrying one like of his daughters. Lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, he pops up in a few scenes, and if you don't know, he plays McAdoo. Um, William McAdoo. I don't know what that means. Um, I, I didn't really staffers. recognize him. I had to go off his voice. Yeah, he's at the convention. He's in the room trying to convince Wilson not to throw in the towel. If you'll recall the scene where they're over the phone and he's back at the governor's mansion and they're telling him he's got the one guy saying, you should just give up and, and give your delegates over to Champ Clark. And they're like, no, no, don't do it yet. Don't give in yet. Vince, Vincent Price is one of those two guys. Um, he's not in a lot of the movie. But he's there. But Th- Thomas Mitchell is like his secretary, basically. Woodrow Wilson's secretary. And Thomas Wilson uh, was Uncle Billy in It's Wonderful Life. He's in High Noon. He's in Gone with the Wind, which I haven't seen. Uh, isn't he? He's one of the reporters. And Mr. Smith goes to Washington, so right? Thomas the Mitchell, he's the, he's the lead reporter. He's the number one. Okay. He's, he's friends with Gene Arthur in the movie. So Thomas Mitchell has one of the great years in 1939 he is in um stagecoach he is in hunchback of notre dame he's in gone with the wind he's in only angels have wings he's in mr smith goes to washington jesus christ dude (laughs) yeah he had an awesome year in 1939 um and he's in a bunch of other movies he's he's a good reliable he's a great reliable character actor and to your credit i did enjoy seeing him in this movie i just wish he hadn't been tossed in kind of like, well, we need a Thomas Mitchell and yeah. I'm Daryl F. Zanuck, so you're in it. Um, because unfortunately, this is not a good picture. And I'm not saying that Thomas no. Mitchell doesn't have some bad movies. He's got some bad movies because he made a lot of films during his career. But um, yeah, this is this is not a strong outing. It, um, it is interesting to think about this, though. Compared to Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which is about a fictional politician, which is similarly idealistic. It This movie is basically that, except it's about a real guy and a real guy who, like, as part of the historical record, had a lot of, like, what was a pretty controversial figure, uh, you know, both contemporaneously and in the years since then. And they are making him the titular Mr. Smith and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, making him this perfect, idealistic, uh, uh, righteous person. And it's just boring. It's yeah. so fucking boring, and yeah. that's all I can really say about it. No, I think, I think next week. I think it's a good finish. Um, yeah, next week we're going to be back with the recap uh, because we need to be done with Wilson. So uh, we'll talk about other movies, including we'll, we'll try to rank all of the movies we've talked about, all five films, and maybe throw out some other titles that we've seen and uh, think you might be interested in taking a taking a look at in your spare time. So if there's no objections, gentlemen, I think I'm gonna close out this session thank you (laughs) i'm good with that (laughs) all right until next week we'll see y'all later bye-bye bye
R-U-F-F. Rough.